Welcome to the C3 Calgary podcast. Thanks for joining us today for an inspiring message from our West location. We're so grateful that you're a part of our family and we'd love to invite you to one of our services. To find locations, times, and more information about our church, visit our website at myc3church.ca or find us on Instagram. Enjoy the message. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for the worship. Uh, I was just, I got caught and I almost could lay on my face and cry. Like I was, I was bawling and, and I probably still look like I was crying. Uh, but thank you. It was, the Holy Spirit's here, so I thank you for that. Uh, my, well, my name is Jesse and I'm from Calgary. I was actually born in the Grace Hospital here. Uh, it's the Grace Maternal Clinic now. Uh, but I wasn't born into grace. I was born into uh, a family uh, where my parents were heroin addicts. And my dad was a part of a a biker gang here in Calgary and he sold uh, drugs and he sold heroin. And my dad was a very violent man. He was very violent to my mom and he was very violent towards others. He used to beat my mom up all the time and and kick her out of the truck and, and there's all kinds of horrific moments and times when this happened and it was crazy. When I was three and a half, my dad, uh, uh, my dad went to jail for three and a half years for selling crack cocaine. He, uh, I remember when the cops came and found him because he had uh, ran out of money and he was trying to pay off. My mom had told me later, she had tried to pay off a debt and the cops broke in our front door and my dog attacked him. The cops ended up killing my dog and, and uh, my dad hid in the attic and the cops pulled my dad out by his head and uh, just very violent, tipping over the plants and everything. And I thought the cops were the bad guys. And then I didn't see my dad for about a year. And then I was able to visit him in jail. And then my mom was still hooked on heroin when he went to jail. And my mom was doing whatever she could to feed her heroin addiction. And my dad had got wind of a little bit of this. And my dad put out a threat towards my mom that he was going to kill her. So me and my mom and my sister and my aunt, we all moved to Kelowna. And uh, we stayed there for a while, and my mom got hooked up with some other guys, and she was still involved in drugs, and then dad got out of jail. And he came to Kelowna, and he didn't kill her. They tried to make it work. They tried to make things okay, but he ended up just beating her up so bad he put her in the hospital, and dad went back to jail. Me and my sister ended up at someone's house in childcare for a week or so, and then mom got out of the hospital, and we moved back to Calgary. And we didn't see dad for a while, you know. I didn't see him for years. And my mom thought my dad was going to kill him. So we moved around Calgary. Am I echoing? Okay, okay. Uh, we, we moved everywhere in Calgary. We'd only stay there six months. We lived in Forest Lawn. We lived in Pembroke. We lived in... Anywhere. Ogden. Uh, we lived down by Blackfoot Truck Stop. We moved around all the time. And I had a hard time making friends. I had a hard time... I was a chubbier kid with a mullet, and, and I'm always like, hey, you know, do you want to be my friend? Do you want to be my friend? And then as soon as I made some friends, we'd move schools again because my mom was just living in fear. And then we moved to Bonass in Calgary here. And uh, we lived near my cousins, and I immediately became friends with their friends, and they're a little bit older than me, but they all used and they drank. And they're drinking beer, so I thought drinking beer was good. And they were using drugs, so I thought drink, using drugs were good, you know? And, 
And then I just tried to earn street credit with them and I would fight people for them and I would steal stuff for them and I'd, I'd just do this stuff to impress them. And this just became my life. And then I started getting into harder drugs by the time I was 15. And then by the time I was 16, I was using drugs like crack cocaine with family members that were older than me. And then I'd met my, I'd met my wife in high school. And uh, I got her pregnant when she was 17. And we had a baby when she was 18 and I had just turned 20. And uh, I had no idea how to be a dad and I was still involved in drugs and alcohol. And I already had one impaired at that time. And I was just trying to be a dad and trying to live in our new house. We got a trailer and we lived in Greenwood here and just above Bonass and I just couldn't put things together. I was cribbing and framing and I was drinking and I would drink and party more than I would show up for work. And then I got another impaired and then I got out in jail and then I got another impaired, got out in jail and out on bail and then got another impaired. And then they kept me in jail for about 45 days and they're like, you're gonna kill someone, man. And I'm like, no, nah, you guys are the bad guys. I'm not gonna kill anyone. But they're right. And uh, I remember grabbing this, this thing in jail and I actually had shared a cell with a guy who had just got charged with murder. And, uh, and he's like, if you're gonna do anything, be solid for your family. And I had no idea to do it. And then I grabbed this and I'm like, maybe this. Cause I had heard about the only, the only seed that was planted in my life with prayer was my mom. And she was just saying, when she'd get beat up, she'd be pretty beat up. She'd be like, let's just pray things get better. Let's just pray things get better. That was the prayer. And the Gideons came to my school when I was in grade six and they gave me a Bible. And I'd read that thing and I'd keep it in my pocket. I wore it in my pocket for years. I wore it all around. I don't know why. I would be involved in drugs and, and with friends who sold drugs and open the Bible and, and try to think how it retained me. But you'd hear about this straight and narrow path. You're like, how do I get to this? This is so unattainable. My life is this. What is my life without a beer and a cigarette? What is my life without drugs? What is my life without trying to be with any woman I can try to be with, you know? Like, I, this is the way I lived. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do it. And then I remember grabbing this. I'm like, I just want to know something to change my life. Like, I don't want to do this. And I got out of jail, and, and my, my stepdad picked me up, and he threw a six-pack on my lap, and he's like, this is what we do when we get out of jail. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. I'm like, I'm in here because of that. I'm like, I need to get away from that. And I started to go to church with my grandfather, and my grandfather I went to an alliance church and started to go in and went to his house after for lunch and there's a picture of Jesus on his fireplace and on the back it says, call for a free book of Mormon, families are forever. I'm like, what's this? He's like, oh, you should call him. I'm like, uh, okay, I, I didn't know what it was. I know I'm not Mormon, but I, I'll tell you the story. <laughs> so I called them and they came to my house. I never heard anyone preach anything to me about Jesus anywhere or anything. But they came to my house and they, heard, they listened and they preached something. And, and, and just trying to know God and, and, and them not drinking and them not using drugs in the perfect form of a family that they showed at the time is kind of what I wanted because I always thought that using drugs and drinking and hanging out and partying and, and using harder drugs on a blue moon was okay. And so I wanted what they had. They invited us over for dinner and, 
they played the piano and the whole family sang. And I'm like, people sing together as families? Like, I, I, it blew my mind. I'm like, I want to sing with my family. Like, I, I, and we only had our, our son Jace at the time. And uh, so we started going to the Mormon church. I'm just like, okay, is this Jesus? Is this is this? this? But this came with a, a Book of Mormon and it came with a bunch of other stuff. And I didn't really believe in it, but it was keeping me sober. So we went with it and then we had another son and I was sober still. And we had Shay and he's my second son. And then there's something in my heart that wasn't changing. It was always striving. It was always doing this. And they're always telling me about this Joseph Smith and I could never swallow it, never do it. But they did push us into marriage because without that, I would have never probably got married. My heart was hard and I always was looking for the next best thing. And I was always thinking this. It just, I, that's just how I worked. I just, just gone. And uh, when I got married, before I got married, we, I had a bachelor party. And, and I hadn't drank for four and a half years, but I invited a bunch of my old friends that I grew up with. And they're like, have one beer. I had one beer, and immediately I was into, I was into cocaine in 20 minutes. Like, right again. My life had fell right off the rails again. And my dad, who I hadn't seen in 15 years, came back into my life. And I had a lot of anger and a lot of resentment. And I didn't like this guy, and I wanted, I wanted to hurt him. And I'm like, and he was just this broken, frail guy, still hooked on heroin, and we let him live with us. And he was living in our basement, and, and then me and my wife were trying to do this Mormon thing, but I was drinking, and then things were so sideways, and I couldn't get things right. And I'm like, I thought this was going to heal everything and work everything out, and nothing worked. And then we had an, a daughter, and then we had another child, and we, by, by having four kids, we thought that was going to get better, but it, it, it wasn't the solution. <laughs> but we're, we're grateful for them, you know? And, but I wasn't the dad I needed to be. And me and my dad had started a construction company and, and he was using drugs and running a power trowel and I'm drinking on the job to try to like keep my nerves steady because we're losing all this money in concrete and dad keeps showing up to work high on heroin and I'm, or high on crack and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And finally got too much and we had to kick him out of our house. We kicked him out. And then I was just drinking and I was being a jerk to my wife and I was, I was becoming pushy and shovey with my wife and I threw a, a box of Lego and it hit her in the head. And that was enough for me. She had had enough, so she kicked me out. And then, you know, I'm like, whatever, I just want a divorce. I don't care. Forget it. I don't want to be with my wife. Forget it. Just divorce. And then I called the social worker. I'm like, hey, I just want to see my kids because she had got an order put against me, an emergency protection order. She didn't want nothing to do with me. She didn't want to see me. And I'm like, whatever. I just want to see my kids. And I phoned the social worker. She's like, well, I went to your kid's school and your kids are afraid of you. They don't want to see you. And I'm like, I became my dad. And I didn't want to be. I'm like, where did I go wrong? I was always blaming everybody else for everything. My dad, my mom, my, my wife, staff. I was blaming everybody all the time. I'm like, well, my kids are afraid of me. I went back to my house and I tried to break in and <clears throat> broke a window and stole my wife's truck and st stole an extension cord and stole, 
stole a garden hose, I actually broke into the garage and I tried to hang myself. And the extension cord broke. Like, forget it, throw the garden hose in the truck and drove away. And I drove out to Springbank here. Down the back road over here, there's a dead end. And I put the exhaust in, or the hose in the exhaust and the other end in the window and I bunched it up and I was just breathing in the exhaust and punching my steering wheel and screaming. I'm like, I just want to know God. I just want you to change me, but I don't want to live. I can't. I'm, I just want to die. And then I felt something grab me and hold me. And it said, hang on. And I just felt peace like I've never felt in my life before. I just felt like something loved me, cared about me. Just, I wasn't alone. And I'll never forget that. I just cried on my steering wheel all night. I wasn't mad. I wasn't angry. I, I had no fight left in me. I was just peace. Pulled the stupid extension, the hose out of the truck. and <clears throat> And then I applied to be a... I was seen at my mom's at the time, and I applied to be a truck driver, but I had no driver's license, and I didn't have a class one. And I applied to be a truck driver at Totem, but I had some experience in some design, and they phoned me, and they're like, would you like a job? I went in and got the interview. I'm like, yeah, I got the job. I don't know how, but I got it. And then Steph and me had been talking a little bit, and 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 I was still on that order, and she's like, tried to hang out with me, and. We'd went to uh, BC to try to patch things up actually. And then her mom called the cops on me and got me arrested and I got arrested in BC and, and then got out on bail and came back to Calgary and, and me and Steph tried to make it work and we were fighting all the time. And was, things were chaotic. And then I, I got this job and, and in this, this job, I, I shared a, a 200 square foot office with a man and I, Overheard him talking about Jesus. I thought he was a Mormon. I did. I'm like, are you a Mormon? Maybe this is God, you know, like talking to me about a Mormon. But he's like, no, no. And then he shared the gospel with me. He was speaking in my heart. And then I came to work still fighting with Steph, trying to make it work. Things were not good. And I, I just came to work crying, broke down. And his, his pastor came and picked me up. And I, and I went to his house and I told him my story. I said, hey, this is what's happening. This is what's going on with me and Steph. And he's like, do you think your wife will come and talk to me? I'm like, mm, no. She doesn't want nothing to do with you. I brought her through this Mormon stuff. She doesn't want nothing to do with it. And he's like, yeah, I think you should call her. I'm like, well, she doesn't really want anything to do with me right now. And she's, I'm barely hanging on with her. Like, so he's like, just call her. Let's see if she'll meet at the mall. So. She agreed. I called her. I phoned. She's like, yeah, hey, I'll, I'll meet you guys at a mall. So we met at Market Mall. And then me and Steph started ganging up on him. We're like, well, how do you feel about tattoos and piercings? How do you feel about homosexuals, man? Because if you're here to judge us, we don't want nothing of it. Like me and her turned the table on him, even though I was coming to him for help. So he's like, well, I'm not trying to tell you guys how to live at all. I want to get your hand and Jesus' hand and you guys walk it out. And he showed us a scripture in John. He's just like, as you are in him, he is in you. And if you give your life to Christ, he comes and lives in you and provides a way and guides and leads you. And I, I never heard of that. Of all, four and a half years as a Mormon, five years, I'm like, I never heard of Christ coming in me and, and leading me. 
And there's the same Holy Spirit I felt in my truck. I'm like, that's it. I'm like crying. I'm like, so do you want to give your life to Christ? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah. And then Steph and me gave our lives to Jesus and Mark them all that day. And that was in 2011, and I was going to church, and uh, Steph still didn't want to come to church. And I'm like, I'm going. I'm like, I feel loved, and out of this love, I can love you and the kids properly because I have my my love is gross, my love is abuse, and it's ignorance, and it's gross. I I need His love to love you. I, I'm going with or without you. I gotta go. And then a few months later. The, she was walking down the stairs and the Lord spoke to her and asked her if she wanted to live or die. And she just knew like that Jesus was her savior. And I came home and she's crying on the stairs. I'm like, what's up? She's like, the Lord spoke to me. And she's like, I just know that he's truth and that he knows me. And she had been, I didn't know, she had been reading my journal and reading my notes from me taking down and jotting down the sermon notes. Because she wanted to know what I was up to. Is, it, is that mind control? Are they trying to make you believe in, in Joseph, right? Because she was trying to get into everything else to prove me wrong. But Christ revealed himself to her. Three months later, I, I got a call, and it was my dad. I'm like, where are you, man? <laughs> you all right? I'm at the Calgary Dream Center. I'm like, what's that place? It's like, it's a faith-based center for men. He's like... I was using dope. I woke up in a crack house on my birthday and I ended up at the Calgary Drop-In Center and four pastors were pretending they're homeless and they, they found me and they walked me to the Dream Center. He's <laughs> like, I gave my life to Jesus. I said, I said, Dad, we gave our lives to Jesus too. I was just crying. Dad stayed at the Dream Center two years, and then he went on and got a, got a diploma at the, a Bible school in Saskatchewan, and he became a pastor. Wow. Dad was pastoring uh, Calgary West Full Gospel here in Bonas. He went, to the, he went back to the same church that he had baptized just before he went to jail back in the 80s. Like, he gave his life before, but... It wasn't there. He, he wanted to try, maybe like me, wanted to try, but didn't know how until the Lord just, just spoke and just unveiled, revealed himself. So he went back there and he's like, I want to make a difference there. And he did. And Dad was pastoring and working construction and he ended, up, uh, he ended up falling off a roof and he passed away in 2015. When it happened, I... I you know, I, I went to my garage. Me and him used to wrench on cars together and go to the garage. And I, I had some doubt. I'm like, you know, and God spoke to me. He's like, when I'm absent from the body, you're present with Christ. And I knew he had him. I knew he had him. It's like I have him. Like I could feel it. And, uh, you know, I had, I had the cross. And I felt, I felt the redemption. I felt like my garbage had been exchanged for his righteousness. I had everything, you know? Like, I knew that. But the resurrection, I, and I had the promise. And it was revealed to me, the promise of the resurrection is like, 
there's eternal life. And, and I knew I, I could say it, and I believed it when I gave my life to Jesus, but I didn't, it wasn't revealed to me like it was then. And this stirred my heart, like I'm like, wow. Like we can live eternally with something that's so comforting, it's Christ Jesus, that it's unfailing. It's unfailing, and I'm like, I'm gonna go down to the DI. I'm, I, me and Steph are praying about it. I'm like, I, and we went down there with one box of coffee. And we just started talking to people about Christ. It's talking about the hope that doesn't disappoint. Yes. If you just believe, this hope will not disappoint you. If you give him a chance, he'll come in and he'll invade your life and he'll destroy garbage and keep cleaning up garbage and keep throwing it out. So we went down there and just kept telling people about the hope of Christ and how he did this for my dad and how he did this for us. And it was one box, two boxes, three boxes of coffee. And then we were buying $300 in Starbucks coffee from across the way at Edmonton Trail and over. And we couldn't afford it. People are giving us gift cards and donating. And like, ah, it's still not enough. And then when my dad passed away, we had $15,000. And we're like, Lord, what do we do with this? I'm like, I was praying about it. I'm like, I'm going to buy a coffee roaster. I never knew how to roast coffee. I didn't know anything about roasting coffee. I knew nothing about coffee other than I like to drink black Starbucks burnt coffee. I'm like, okay. I put all my money in it. We're in. Buy it. I get this thing. I don't even know how to put it together. I'm like having a panic attack. I'm like, I just spent all our money. Sorry, sweetheart. Uh, yay. <laughs> but I just felt like the Lord's like, just be still and just know that I'm God and I have a plan. So I just started roasting the coffee. And it tastes like tea, <laughs> or it tastes really burnt. And then, and then I just started to develop coffee that I really liked, and I could taste the fruits and the flavors. And I just started giving away what, what I like to drink. And they were, I'm like, if this is all this is, is us roasting coffee in here and just to give it away, then I'm good with that. And then we're like, let's, let's put Dad's story on it. Let's, let's put that, and let's sell it. Let's try to sell it so we can give it away. And when my dad passed away, the Lord gave me a vision of a building and he's like, as you meet people, you can bring them to this building. You can disciple them, raise them up, and send them out to bring more people to this building. And it was like this building of just healing, and it was a building of worship, and it was a building of recovery. And I still see that vision. I don't know how it looks. I'm not very organized, but I still am striving for that vision. And I believe that coffee's the vehicle for it. And now we've served over 300 cups of coffee every Saturday outside the Calgary Drop-In Center. We serve food, people donate food, we bring food sometimes, you know, and we bring soup and sandwiches and, and there's clothing donations. But people can feel the presence of God. Like when me and Steph start going there, people are like, get out of here, you're on here, I'm trying to sell drugs, get out of here, what are you doing here, are you cops? I'm like, no man, I'm not, I don't care, I just want you to have a cup of coffee, I love you. And, and now you can actually feel the presence of God there. You come in and it's like darkness, it's gone. It's gone. We've, 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 we've possessed the land back. We've taken the land back. Yeah. So that's, that's the story of Kingdom Coffee, I guess, you know. Like, 
And we're going to keep doing it, you know, and we're going to keep roasting coffee and we're going to keep doing it. Last year, go ahead, go ahead, finish this one. Last year, I was watching uh, a friend of mine sent me a video. It was called Cafe Diego, and I'm like, what's this? I ignored it for a while. And, uh, and then I watched it, and it was about this farmer who actually lived in Canada. And he had a dream, and in his dream, the Lord's like, Diego, there's something you have to do for your country. You have to move back to Nicaragua. And he's like, okay, my kids don't even speak Spanish. Sure. He, he obeyed, though, and he moved back. And coffee was selling at a dollar on the stock exchange. And from 96, or sorry, 86 to 96, it went down to 40 cents a pound. And he took out a $300,000 loan, and in that seven years, that $300,000 loan went to $1.5 million, and he lost everything. He just became a steward of his farm. And the government was making him run it. But he didn't even have any plants. He couldn't even grow any coffee. He had no money to produce anything. And then the Lord sent him some guys from Ohio that believe in Christ and they were able to buy coffee from him at double the price. And it was a miracle. There's a, if, if you have a chance to watch Cafe Diego on YouTube, I, I suggest you watching it. But the, the Lord spoke to me. I'm like, I gotta go meet Diego. I gotta go meet Paul, this, this roaster in Ohio. I phoned him and I told him my story. He prayed for me, he was crying. He's like, I don't know if Diego will get back to you, but I'll put you in an email. I'm like, I, I feel like I need to go. I'm like, I don't care, I'm gonna go with her without Diego. And I, and I talked to my wife, and she's like, eh, I don't think you should go. <laughs> I'm like, okay, forget it, forget it. I let it go. And then she phoned, she's like, no, you need to go to Nicaragua. I said, I haven't even heard back from Diego. She's like, no, if you don't meet Diego, there's another farmer that you can meet and you can bring coffee from. I don't know how, but I just feel it. So I'm like, okay. My friend Sam, his wife was from Nicaragua. I'm like, can we maybe stay with her? I, I don't know. Like, we had no, no money. Like, so I booked a plane ticket. Diego emailed back. He said, hey, come stay at our farm. We're rebuilding a church. And we had no money to buy coffee. I'm like, okay, here I go. I'm going to Nicaragua. I got no money to buy coffee, but yay, let's try it. And two days before I left, a friend of mine, I phoned him. I'm like, hey, man, I, I, need, a, I need a hammock or a canopy, I'm going to sleep in the jungle, I need something to zip up, there's mosquitoes and stuff. He's like, where are you going? I tell him the story, and then he's like, okay, what do you guys need for outreach? Do you need anything? I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, we need some tables, I might need to borrow some money from you for coffee. And then he's, I'm like, I'll give you it back. And then he's like, okay, I'll call you back. And then him and his brother call me back, and they're like, we wanna just give you $10,000. I'm like, what? I'm like, okay, I'll pay you back. And he's like, no, no. You don't know it's nothing. It's for the kingdom. I said, that's, that's, he's like, we know what you do with it. I'm like, that's crazy, man. And I went down there. I said, Diego, hey, I got $10,000. He's like, that's not enough. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, it's like $5,000 to ship it back. American. I'm like, oh. Well, I got $10,000. He's like, he's like, why don't I just give you 30 bags of big coffee bags and you pay me as you sell it. I said, that's awesome. And then that other farmer, I went to this farm and I felt the Lord ask me to pray for this other farmer and I prayed for him and I could feel the Holy Spirit. I got, I got wrecked and I'm crying and I prayed in English. He knew nothing what I said, but he let go of my hand. He's like, he's talking in Spanish. He's like, you know Jesus, my friend translated. He's like, yeah. He's like, I thought you were just a coffee roaster. <laughs> and I, and I told, told him our story and he, he's like, I want to give you this bag, like this big bag of coffee. It's award-winning coffee. 
And he's like, I want to help you bless. I don't want to give it away with you guys on the streets when I can come up. So there's just been certain things that we've had to do to try to make kingdom connections. And we did the impossible trying to bring up some coffee, but we're also doing the impossible and, and trying to provide a way for people when there is no way. Like I came back here. I know I'm in the red. Don't you love Jesse's story? 30 seconds. <laughs> I'll be 30 seconds. Thanks for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and check out our C3 Calgary live stream on YouTube. If this message resonated with you and you'd like to give to our church, you can do so on our website at myc3church.ca. See you next week.